0: This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hammerich. We are back with another special episode brought to you by the Northern Pulse Growers Association. If you haven't listened to the past three episodes, you're definitely going to want to go check those out. These are serving as sort of a countdown to the NPGA annual convention, which is happening this month. It's right around the corner. It's virtual. We'd love to have you attend January 19th, 20th, and 21st. Head over to northernpulse.com and get registered for that right now. These special episodes, like the one you're about to listen to, were recorded at the NPGA Montana Pulse Day virtual event in November. There's really some fantastic information shared, and we are delighted to bring some of it to you via this podcast. Today's panel is all about getting a better understanding of grading impulses. Obviously, this aspect of the business can have a humongous impact on the bottom line, and there are a lot of details that can be a challenge to fully understand. The panel is moderated by Todd Schultz, vice president of research and member services at the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council. And joining Todd are Jill Street, fifth generation farmer and owner of Sticks Ag, Phil Henrichs, president of Hendricks Trading Company and former guest on this podcast back in episode 14, and Ryan Ettinger with AGT Foods. So I'll turn it over to Todd here to kick off this important topic with this all-star panel.
1: today what we're laying out is we're trying to explain why grading is important how it's unique in the united states and how it helps establish us as the quality supplier in the world and so we've got a team of panelists that know a lot more about grading than i do and i want them to introduce themselves tell a little bit about them where they belong who they work for and how they relate to the grading system in the united states So Jill, go ahead and start.
2: Hi guys, I'm Jill Streets. I live up in North Central Montana and uh, I'm a proud owner at Strix Egg. We are a commodities company up here. I am part of the Montana Pulse Crop Committee with Gordon and I get to work hand in hand with Todd, with the grades committee and quite a few InfaGov different groups that we work with. I have a unique perspective, I would say, when it comes to the grading systems, because um, not only do we have our processing plant in Chester where I play a food safety role, but I also am a fifth generation farm wife. And so um, I've been able to understand grades now from the farmer perspective, through the processor perspective, and also working with the end users. We need to be really transparent with our processors and we need to work really, really hard at understanding the value that the grading structure gives to all parts of our supply chain. So thanks for having me on the panel. I'm really excited, and we have a lot of great information for you.
1: Okay, and from uh, Heinrichs Trading, Phil.
3: First of all, on on behalf of this conference and the opportunity to speak, this is a fun time to visit with farmers. I'm Phil Heinrichs president of Henrik's Trading Company. And one thing that's very unique about our company is that we're in the processing business and we've been in it for many, many years. And as you come into the Pulse business, which is fairly young, I mean, when we talk about young, we're looking at a 30 year old crop. And uh, I have a tendency to concentrate on the chickpeas, which I will speak on more as we go through this. But grading is definitely been a learning curve for the grower, but obviously the processor and the end user. And when you take those three factors together, it becomes quite interesting. And we're going to be here today helping you answer and learning some uh, quality uh, standards
4: that might help you in your process.
1: Thanks, Phil. And now, finally, Ryan.
4: Yeah, Ryan Edinger. I'm with AGT Foods. I've been with the company for right around 12 years now. Definitely changed ever since I started here in 2008. We were primarily focusing on whole pulses, split pulses. Now that's transitioned over into the fractionation markets to where we're now making flowers. We're also making a pasta at our uh, Minot, North Dakota facility. So to see the pulse industry grow as it has and evolve into different markets, has been interesting and also challenging because there's different things that uh, we're looking for in the fractionation markets versus the whole and split pulses. So we primarily deal in yellow peas, green peas, chickpeas, and lentils are our main focus. But uh, I agree with the others. It's uh, different grading standards that we're looking at for these different crops. And I'm excited to be part of the panel to kind of explain some of the different key factors in order to maintain quality Uh, not only in the field, but once it gets into the band as well.
1: I thought it'd be good to start off with a question about how do you define quality and ask each of the panelists how they define quality. So I'm going to turn it around. We'll start with Ryan this time. How do you define quality in your product, Ryan?
4: First thing I would say is you need a marketable product to begin with. So with our trade group, when they're reaching out to the buyers, they're looking for a specific thing. And uh, what we do is we always try to match that up, not only with our process, but starting with a good marketable product from the producer. Basically, to define that is is to find, uh, maintain quality in order to fit what our buyers are looking for on the, the end use.
1: And so how does grades, how did the U.S. grading system, how does that fit into quality?
4: It fits in. Just based on our grades, sometimes we're not going to be exactly what our buyers looking for. You could take a number one green pea today and take it into an export market, say into South America, where you get a buyer who wants virtually no bleach and uh, no allergens. We're also getting into the chemical residue. So there's different things that are from one buyer to the next that's going to change just because it's a number one or a number two grade U.S., doesn't mean that it's going to uh, fit every buyer's needs. So you got to strategically meet with the buyer, make sure we're fitting what they're looking for on the export market. And that also fits into the fractionation market as well.
1: So, Phil, what is your definition of quality?
3: Well, first of all, let's talk about the chickpea side of it. And we really rely on the USDA grade. It's very important that we have a standard between the grower and ourselves. And it also trickles to the end user. And so that standard is kind of where we get started in uh, setting our mark. Now, obviously, we're going to go into situations with the way harvest came off and how we dealt with moisture and how the characteristics of the chickpea turned. You know, if we kept the, the bright, creamy color, like this year was a really good quality crop didn't really stretch us too bad. So the grower on the standards was uh, pretty much fairly easy to determine. Uh, but let's turn the clock back to 19 and with the moisture we had across our whole growing region. And it was very challenging because all of a sudden we're dealing with high moisture, we're dealing with colored beans and we're still trying to make a number one, work with the grower. So when we start falling into those standards, uh, we got to be a little more flexible because at the end of the day, we've got to sell it. And earlier, Gordon made a comment about, you know, you don't always know what the commodity is used for at the end. And it happens to be in a chickpea. We all know it's very visual. And after that, it becomes a taste factor, which the grower probably doesn't have much of a handle on. And in this new marketplace, we're dealing with, quite a few new uses and so it's getting a little more broad spectrum but as a buyer and as a processor we try to protect our growers and try to stay within the standards that we do know so they can move on with their commodity.
1: All right actually this is great comments and and I think that uh, it's really important to see quality from all perspectives. I think Jill I think you wanna talk a little bit about a little different perspective. What's quality to you?
2: Well, I think quality is multifaceted. I think what we've talked about here is meeting customer specification, which on the processor side of it is exceptionally difficult to do depending on who your customer is. Both uh, Phil and Ryan touched on the fact that we're selling into new and evolving marketplaces. Some of these marketplaces don't even understand what it is that they absolutely need at this point in time. But for me, I think the number one quality factor that I want producers to think about and us processors and the third party people that are grading this is a food safety factor. Because this product is food. And a lot of these people are eating this in the whole form. Uh, it's not going to further manufacturing. It's not going to further processing. And so when we talk about quality, we need to be realizing that, yes, it is a commodity, just like the other commodities we grow, but the end use of this commodity is different. So food safety is really important to me. That being said, third-party grading gives us a baseline and a standard for all parties in the transaction to gauge the product and the quality. And that's vital to create and maintain a consistent standard. So we're having to balance food-related things with third-party related things, and trying to find that median between our growers and our our end-use customers.
1: All right, great. And Ryan, a lot of producers raise wheat. Pulse producers are usually wheat producers. How does the definition of quality of pulses differ maybe from grains?
4: Well, pulses are you have to gently handle them versus wheat. Uh, Cracking is a big thing. Crack seed coats, which we'll probably get into in a little bit here on peas is a big thing. Color is huge for lentils, green peas with bleach. One thing that we see a lot of from an allergen standpoint is also one thing that's starting to emerge to where, like Jillian said, attention to detail, clean out uh Monitoring your bins, getting your processor a representative sample of each of that bin. you know sometimes you can get one sample of, of a pulse product and uh, you've harvested over two weeks span different fields. You nice. could have different qualities in all those fields, so getting samples to your processor, ensuring you know exactly uh, what you have in each individual bin helps out for the producer and for the processor.: Great.
1: And Phil, you know, chickpeas are a different crop than, than even peas or lentils, I think. Uh, so what can producers do to ensure the quality of their product as they raise chickpeas?
3: Well, we definitely like to break our quality standard up to a grower in four sections. Number one is pre-harvest of how they're going to handle it, what they're going to spray on it, how they're going to desiccate it. So we monitor that very uh, diligently, very traceability, because we'll fall back to the food safety side of it. And we have to be fully transparent. And the grower is getting more mature about understanding that because of you know the uh, institutions that are educating more on food safety. And it is a big thing. The next thing we do is we're going into the bin and we're bringing it out of the field from the grower. And the grower needs to really understand what's going into his bulk tank is maybe not the deciding factor of his quality, but it is the early stage. Let the processor do the cleaning. Grower, go ahead and bring some trash in. You know, avoid your cracking. So uh, we really push on that because it's a benefit to the grower, and it's certainly a benefit to us because we're going to clean the product. The third factor we go into is monitoring the bin going into the first of the year. Uh, there is a lot of home storage that we uh, applaud, but we also, the management of it, go up, climb the ladder, you know, and ladders are very difficult for people. So you see the stairways on the new bins. What a pleasure because they can get up there, they can inspect their bin, And, you know, safety first, always tie off. That's company policy. So I want to make sure you do that growers. And then last but not least, you know, as Ryan and Jill said about samples, you know, we're going to go into the springtime now and the grower has not paid attention, maybe, and he doesn't know what he's got. Now we've got bugs that we're looking for. Okay. And so the grower has four items and during those times, he's got to monitor His storage uh, responsibilities. With that, since the commodity is so uh, important to us too and the industry, because a big problem just, you know, you can't take care of your customer and that's what drives this industry. So we try to go out and monitor it with you and give our growers reminders. And so set your calendar, make your phone ring and check your bin.
1: And so we talked a little bit about crack seed coats and we can go back to the panel now and look at some questions what can we do about crack seed coats jill
2: well i guess i would say that um, sometimes high supply markets breed really picky buyers and <laughs> this year we have a high supply of peas and lentils peas for sure Uh, You hear the barley guys talk about this happening a lot in barley markets where there's years where their malt is going for nothing or they have contracts in malt and they're not getting as much as they are for some of their other barley products because there's such a high supply. That being said, I don't think that it's something that's made up. I do think that it is a problem for a lot of the food manufacturers when they do get these I think that sometimes their tolerance is a little bit lower, and I think this year is one of those years where they have a lower tolerance for their crack seed coats. But um, on the farmer level, we really need to be paying attention to how and when we harvest. The moisture level of your peas is exceptionally important when you're getting them out of the field. Also, movement. If you are constantly moving pulse products, you're going to be damaging the seed coats, and that's just what happens. We need to make sure that we're using the proper equipment to move them. Move them only if you have to and never move them when it's extremely cold. Moving pulse crops in extreme cold weather is just a its a recipe for disaster when it comes to the crack seed coats.
1: So uh, Ryan,
4: tell me about crack seed coats and peas. Okay, so it truly depends on what market you're hitting. If you're hitting a whole pea market, It can be a disaster when you have high crack seed coats. You get into the splitting markets and the fractionation markets, it still is an issue, but not near as bad as when you're failing grade on a whole pea. For the grower level, I would really start with is start with your variety. See if it has weak seed coats. There are some varieties out there that are weaker than others and have had some germination issues. So I would research that to begin with and find a a pea that has a strong seed coat. Uh, Timing of harvest is huge. Uh, Like Jillian said, you don't wanna be out there cutting peas at 10% moisture and have your combine opened up wide and it's still cracking everything quite badly. That's one thing where you wanna get out there, you wanna be diligent in in the moisture levels and making sure you're getting them off. Uh, Putting them into the bin, I'd always recommend, you know, in and out of the bin, if you can somehow use a belt conveyor, that's gonna limit your cracking dramatically if you're using an auger i would keep it running slow and full as much as you can to limit the cracking on the seed coats and the splits splitting the peas so that's kind of the main things and and loading in the cold too if you're loading in the cold weather in january eastern montana and north dakota when it's negative 20 degrees good luck with that one (laughs) that's not fun (laughs) so i would uh I would always recommend using a belt conveyor. Try to wait if, if possible for a little warmer temps in order to to move the product. Does uh, moisture make a difference, Ryan? Yeah, it surely does make a difference. If you're if you're down to ten percent moisture on your peas and you're trying to to auger them out, you're gonna have higher crack versus a a half or you know fourteen percent pea. You're definitely gonna see more cracking there.
2: So it's really important that if you do have a lot of crack seed coats, like Ryan has said, make sure you get a representative sample into your processor because they're going to be able to find a place to go with those. It might take a while. You might have to have them in a bin for a little bit, but it's not impossible. Um, And so lentils, I think for the way that we market them, appearance is exceptionally important. So crack seed coats will
3: affect them.
1: Yeah, yeah. But most of the standards, I think, as we evaluate our grading standards are about visual appearance. Ryan, I've got a question. Somebody wanted to put you on the spot and ask what's too cold to handle peas and chickpeas?
4: (laughs) Well, I, I would say anytime you get somewhere in that 10 degrees below, that's 15, 10 degrees. That's where it starts getting really tricky you can get in that 30 degree weather and we haven't had too much trouble. It's just a matter of what you're using. If you're using a belt conveyor, you're not gonna have near as much trouble as you're, if you're using an auger taken out of a bin. Mm-hmm. But once it hits below that, I know we, we took some peas in four or five loads here in January last year and it was, the guy was loading in 20 below and a lot more cracked in a week later than when it was up to that 20, 25 degrees. So wow. that big swing can make, it can make a big difference. And one thing I wanted to say on the lentils for cracked seed coats, Mm -hmm. brittle seed coat is what we see a lot of times with cracking. Yeah, combine settings can really take into account to where you got to watch out very close. But if the lentil, say, had a couple of rains on it and the, the seed coat contracted and expanded when the sun came out a few times and there's some wrinkle, it will become brittle. You'll see a lot more cracking along with your color being off a little bit. But Usually we see that whole seat coat basically disintegrate and and the lentil split. You know, the seat coat just comes right off of it when you rub it in your hand. So that's one thing where we see more versus once it's I guess the seat coat is cracked, usually the thing will just disintegrate and fall apart on our end.
1: All right. You know, I've got a question here that I think we were going to address later on, but let's let's talk about it now. Paul Canning's asking about MRLs and how they're impacting your business what changes you're seeing with your buyers and how farmers can be good stewards that's a pretty broad question um I'm gonna I don't know who I'm gonna start with Uh, Jill I'll I'll let you begin
2: where do you want me to start on that one
1: (laughs) (laughs) just how are MRLs affecting your impacting your business what are you seeing
2: I guess what I would say on that is that It's constantly adapting to change and having to um, find out what it is that the customer is wanting and constantly being willing to look into those kind of things. And so we like to say that we set policy, but our policy will will always, always be adaptable. And so that's how it affects our business. When you have. A customer that is has growing concerns about where their food is coming from and all of those things, you have to be willing to adapt and change. Definitely seeing a lot more concern on residual factors. And it's being pushed because that's what the buyers, their end user, the people that are eating these foods, that's what they're concerned about. Um, we're also seeing a lot of people wanting to feel good about the food that they're eating. But it depends on what marketplace you're going into. Um, On the domestic side, we are no longer eating food for sustenance. We're eating food because we want to feel good about what we're eating. We want to know where it's coming from. And so when we're selling to a domestic market, we're really having to watch a lot more factors than we had before, where let's say we're selling to a South American market. And a lot of that factor is literally just the way it looks. They're very concerned on their products just from the appearance or let's say you're selling into a marketplace where people are eating for sustenance then they're just looking for protein they're looking for high quality protein and the most that they can get out of it so i think when it comes to the factors that are changing is that sometimes factors aren't changing sometimes they are exactly the way that they were depending on the market that we're selling into and then sometimes they just continue to compound and compound and compound where if you're trying to sell into a european market you have tons of red tape to try to get through. Um, (laughs) It's not an easy job what these processors are doing, um, just like it's not an easy job what the farmers are having to do. And so when things trickle down to the farm level and we're asking for transparency, it's not because we're trying to take away from the farmer, it's because we're trying to be able to be that bridge between the farmer and that end-use customer.
1: And there's several stages in between. There's a a distance between the actual and consumer. I did have a request to remind people what MRL stood for. We've got some good experts here. We deal with MRLs every day. MRL stands for maximum residue limit. It is uh, an established standard by uh, worldwide in the United States, EPA calls it a tolerance but it's really the residue that remains on the product after you use a pesticide. And so MRLs are of concern uh, because nobody understands them. They're in parts per million and you can measure to parts per billion. It gets really, really misleading when they uh, talk about the different measures. There's lots of standards coming at us. Part of the environment is that tests are really cheap you can test for the presence of well-known chemicals like 2,4-D or glyphosate with relative ease. And uh, so it's really important that we are, as farmers and producers and members of the of the chain, we are aware of that. Ryan, what have you seen in your business as far as MRLs and residues and, and then changing standards? You deal a lot more with the End-user products too, like flowers and other products, protein. Maybe you have some insights that we haven't heard from yet.
4: Yeah, definitely. We we live it and breathe it every day in in the pulse flowers. We do some of it in in the whole pulses and the split pulses, but when you really get uh, into the pulse flowers, making pea protein, starch, fibers, food ingredients, that's where you really start to hone in on the residue testing. And one of the main ones is glyphosate. It continues to be a driver as far as testing. And we do it almost on a daily basis on a lot of our flowers. And like you said, it is a parts per million and parts per billion type situation to where we're testing and we've taken in product samples in and have tested it where growers have not applied any glyphosate. And whether it be drift or something, it will will go over you know an allowance of a certain customer. It's all consumer driven, and these companies are wanting testing done. I don't think it's gonna get any more relaxed down the road, especially when you get into these pulse flowers. It's starting to intensify, and I think as we move forward and start uh, looking at this down the road, we're gonna we're gonna run into it more and more often. So yeah, that's one thing that we do every day, and it continues to more and more requests as we move forward here.
1: I've got a uh, couple of good questions. One person asked, uh, with 74% of the lentil production geared toward medium green lentils, what can a grower do to make sure his lentils are medium size or fit the right size of the market they're focused on? And so I'll start with you, Ryan.
4: Okay, well obviously you're going to want to get a variety that fits in that medium range to begin with. And in some years are gonna be different than others. Growing conditions can really affect the size of the crop. Can't remember what year, it was probably two or three years ago where we had some issues with small lentils in like a richly variety to where there was eight to 10% mm-hmm. that were coming off. And it's really growing conditions. To manage that is super tough. There's not really much you can do. I think rain and heat at the wrong time that year really did us in on sizing, but I haven't seen much trouble with it this year. I'd say variety selection is a big thing. And then the luck of the draw with the weather is is truly what it is. Sounds
1: like variety selection and prayer. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, I, don't,
2: I don't have anything more to answer that besides exactly what Ryan said. Variety selection is about the only tool you have. And, and then prayer and seeing how the how the year comes off. But can't change Mother Nature sometimes. So the thing that we can is selecting proper varieties and paying attention to making sure that the seed that you're getting is not adulterated with other seeds as well. So it's really important to have attention to detail, especially if you're if you're going to be planting two different varieties that you don't commingle or blend those together.
1: Yeah, actually, seed selection is and certified seed is a good source to ensure that. Right, Phil you have a lot of selection. When we talk about chickpeas, size is everything, isn't it?
3: Well, it certainly becomes a, uh, a very high interest in item. And, you know, the one thing that we are always encouraging is obviously certified seed. That's a given. And, you know, we've come a long way as we planted a lot of acres and we went right into the brown bag and You know, unfortunately, we know that cost of seed is always expensive, but you know, a good foundation is unreplaceable. And as we get into these tighter windows of seeded acres, the grower that plays with the quality variety and the quality seed is going to get a better representation by the processors. And we make that very clear because at the end of the day, we are selling a variety, and, and we have many customers that have different recipes. But, you know, when you're handling in this industry on short acres and you've got 10 varieties, it's a headache. And it won't be represented by our company for sure.
1: Yes. We're near the end here. What Some of my questions that I had uh, developed before we started this were about uh, – Talk about the grades and the grading factors, even just what the public, what the customer needs and how that's changed from five years ago to now. I think we're near the very end. These are kind of the closing comments. So if you guys could uh, kind of talk about, you know, where grades are, where they've been and, and where they're going uh, in the next few minutes. Uh, I'll start with Phil.
3: Okay, Todd. Well, uh, first of all, regarding the grades, you know, we've had a broad uh, conversation today. And, you know, as the growers are taking notes, number one is the management practice from the farm to the field is so important. And we encourage that. That is will really tighten up your grades that you bring to us when we're passing the information back. The USDA will do it. The good news is that we continue to work with our industry on grading standards and we keep making progress and we're able to adjust as we learn more about our commodity. Now, when we take it from the processor to the end user, you know, we're looking for windows that are don't shove us into a corner. And so, you know, the US 1 and 2 are very important to us. And uh, we appreciate everything that the uh, USDA is uh, working with our industry to allow us to have a little bit more tolerance because every year is different. Every commodity has its variants and we know what our customer wants and we're not out there to try to change our environment to our end user I mean, it's a small village, guys, I mean, th- that are are driving these beans to the end user. And on top of that, you think of our growing regions of Washington, Idaho, Montana, and North Dakota, our primaries, we're in a small growing region too. So yes, grades matter. I, I know I'm speaking very broadly about it, but we have a quality product and I want to thank the growers for taking that responsibility on and varieties matter quality matters and our industry matters so i'm going to leave it to that thank you
1: thanks jill i'm going to let you go next
2: all right um everything is in the little details that you do every single day Um, and so as the standards change on these grades it's not to try to Back the producer up against a wall. It's it's really to try to speak from the producer level through the processor level to the end user as well, and having it a baseline so that we're all on the same page. The third-party grading standards, I'll give a shout out to Todd and the group with USA Dry Pay and Lentil Council and the Trade Association. They're constantly working to make changes and updates so that we speak the same language from producer through processor to the end user. As a producer, our number one thing that we can do is pay attention to the detail from the seed that you put in the ground, to the chemicals that you're using on those, to the way that you store it, the way that you transport it, bring it in, and then constantly having transparency with the processor that you're working with. And you know, sometimes you're not gonna have the greatest quality, And you're going to just have to work with it. Sometimes you have the greatest quality and the marketplace isn't there. And then sometimes they all come together. So pay attention to your details, work through it all, and keep up the great work.
1: And finally, Ryan, you get nearly the last. I get the last word, but you get the next last word.
4: Awesome. Well, um, as we move forward here, I think, you know, it's a consumer driven market in these pulses, it's changed over the years to where we're getting into some emerging markets to where some of these are calling for a little higher quality. like I said, when I started here, uh, we were doing a lot of whole and split peas. And now we're getting into the fractionation making pasta. I think as we go forward, all these markets are going to emerge, which is great for the growers, because we're going to have some exciting things down the road here in the pulse industry, whether it be in the fractionation markets or the export markets. But we're going to have to adapt to change. You know, it's it's not going to be what it was ten years ago with some of the MRLs and some of these packaging companies in the export markets looking for. Even though it's a num like I said, the number one green pea with up to one and a half percent bleach, they want to see virtual no bleach on their on some of these uh, markets. So. It opens up our markets and just like Jillian said, just because uh, you may have a little bit of bleach on peas, there's still markets out there that we're able to access. It might take a little bit of time, but to get a good representative sample is key for us in order to market your product. So I'll leave it with that, but I think there's some exciting things down the road that are, are upon us.
0: All right, well, thank you very much to Todd, Jill, Phil, and Ryan, really important topic that many of us don't know enough about. Great to get these perspectives captured on today's podcast. This is it for our special bonus episodes. We will be back, though, in the coming weeks to officially kick off season two of Growing Pulse Crops. So make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to register today for the Northern Pulse Growers Association annual convention. That's happening again January 19th through the 21st. You can get all the information over at northernpulse.com, and we'll see you there.